This is part two of our two-part podcast, The Truth About Smart Cities, with Bob Bennett, principal and founder at B-Squared Civic Solutions and former chief innovation officer of the city of Kansas City, Missouri. We pick up right where we left off in part one, so thank you for listening and enjoy this episode of Spaces and Places. So as you know, Bob, Site 1001 is looking at the smart city challenge and, and movement, you know, to no longer be called smart cities in a few years, hopefully. But we're looking at it from more of a building perspective. We like to say you can't have smart cities without smart buildings because buildings create so much data. And once you are able to optimize and maximize the efficiency of a building, how it's running, improve ROI cut costs, make it more comfortable for occupants, you know, keep tenant satisfaction higher, and then even allow buildings to talk to one another so that it really creates like a, a neighborhood made out of buildings in a city, then you can really have a smart city. Although a lot of smart city discussions uh, concentrate more on like transportation, you know, and energy, we like to say, hey, don't forget about us too. Um, so like when we're talking about smart cities from that angle, we're kind of building them from a, you know, a bottoms up perspective, but a lot of smart city initiatives start at the top, you know, within like the government. So how do you think these two strategies work together or do you think they're clashing? Well, I think they're complementary. Go way, way, way back in the machine to my old uh, army days where when we designed a particular operation that we were working on, we drove the goals for the operation from the top down. And in this regard, um, having a vision statement like what, uh, well, Mayor Corey Mason is doing in Racine, Wisconsin, and establishing, we want to be the smartest city in Wisconsin, period, paragraph, end of story. Yeah. And that drives all of his city departments to then both define from the bottom up what smart is and then to implement the reforms required to achieve that vision. And this is where I think a smart or a site 1001 input comes to the fore in that uh, by working with the city planning department or by working with the folks who manage zoning in a community, if it's not the planning department, to start defining smart standards for the building code itself uh, as the baseline, then you have the internal connectivity of that building to talk to the water department. I love the water uh, wall that you all bring to the different conferences to demonstrate how sensors can identify very quickly where a building has a problem that can be rectified uh, relatively rapidly if you've got the right kit to do that. You know, having the bottom-up refinement to those objectives allows the top-down policy to be successful and, quite frankly, to do it more quickly because you're never going to be able to legislate or to dictate smartness in a city. Going back to the article, where the engineer is absolutely correct is that cities cannot you know, say we're going to be smart and then have it be done uh, between two state-of-the-city addresses. That's never going to happen. Instead, that city leader has to establish the vision that then everybody in the city, from the city council members to the nonprofits that live there and work there, to the companies that partner with the city or are active in that community in terms of building new buildings can get on board the smart train as well as uh, those legislators. 
And it's it, it's just the typical American story. But we ain't going to get there unless we all get there together. It's a beautiful way to say that. No, oh, but I probably used ain't there, which means that my wife would absolutely destroy me. But, you know. <laughs> so also, as we've been talking about you know, communication and the importance of all these different solutions working together and even unsiloing different parts of the government side of it all, you know, the typical millennial, you know, back to South Park mindset says that less is more. So do you think that as we knock down walls and barriers and merge some of these solutions together and make everyone work together more, that it'll be more appealing to the younger crowds that are moving into these cities because it doesn't seem as complicated? Like earlier, actually, we had talked about how there's too many apps to do one thing, you know, like record a podcast. And it's a little bit of a hassle (laughs) to have a different application for each thing that you're trying to do. So do you believe that as things create, um, or as all the things communicate better, that it'll become less complicated and even intimidating to be within a smart city? Um, I don't know. Expertise is not necessarily a bad thing. And where you have a silo um, in, say, a water department, it can be a silo of awesomeness if they're doing their job well. And being able to digitize the wisdom that has been gained by folks inside that department is actually something we need to uh, probably retain. Um, and again, digitizing it allows us to pass those lessons on very quickly to these Gen Z and millennial leaders who are now becoming departmental directors in different communities. So I don't want to destroy those silos and destroy those walls, but I do want to build windows in them. Because that free exchange of data allows, you know, an expert in the water department to really become that person who could almost sense when a water meter is or when a water main is about to break. And if the data essentially, you know, validate that gut feeling, then you've got two sources of of data that allow you to make a better decision. Being able to then transform that, though into a single pane of glass so that a citizen can engage with their community in a simpler manner, I, I think is probably the goal uh, that we need to achieve when we think about smartness as a smart city. Uh, because again, it's how do we help a 21st century citizen interact with their community? And if that you know, community is expecting to see it on a pane of glass, well, then you as a city are responsible for figuring out a way to do that. And the cities that figure that out uh, will be attractive to the new workforce, uh, will be attractive to companies that are hiring that new workforce, cities that open their data, um, that make life easier uh, for companies to achieve what their goals are, are going to be more attractive to companies that move around. Companies and cities or cities that have a building code where a, a technology like Site 1001 allows that building to be smarter and therefore helps that company keep down costs inside the building, those cities are going to win. And so, yeah, at the citizen level, that interactivity has to be almost transparent. But at the nitty-gritty level of the city doing city work, we need to at least allow experts to continue to be experts. We just got to be able to open up windows so they can share that expertise. Technology should be doing its thing in the background and easy enough to do for the citizen at the citizen level. That's, I think you said it better than I did, Aaron. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I should go into yeah, city planning. I just read 
today, about an hour ago, that the record heat wave in London today is affecting the infrastructure. It's actually so the, the famed underground rail system can't handle the heat. So they actually had to restrict speeds and even close parts of a few of the lines because the heat is making the rails themselves unstable. It causes them to basically loosen and buckle and almost separate at you know even the standard speeds of the tubes. So how much do you think will be involved in updating a city's infrastructure entirely versus using other technology like sensor data and analytics on top of that sensor data from quote unquote smart communities to automate things like this and make, you know, for example, public transport constantly efficient and always improving? Well, I mean, cities evolve over time. I mean, we, you know, the first smart city in my mind was ancient Rome because they created aqueducts. And while the technology which allows Rome to have clean water delivered to its citizens has changed somewhat since the aqueducts were installed um, in whatever it was BC when they were when that project took place. But the way to get that done, you know, had to evolve over time, did evolve over time. And because those projects all have life cycles somewhere between 20 and 30 years on them, the city is constantly in an effort to upgrade that technology. And I think London in response to the changes uh, in our environment is going to have to look at as they fix and improve their uh, lines, their tube lines, um, they're going to have to account for that. And it's just one of those things that over the next 20 years, they will uh, improve it because you can't let that thing go 20 years without servicing it. Right. So we're going to constantly evolve. And again, this goes back to why I'm where I disagree with the city engineer who is in smart cities. We're not going to replace, this is actually a, a, a good Kansas City story. Um, we are not going to replace all of the old water pipes in Kansas City, uh, despite the fact that a lot of them are due to be changed. Because they're watertight today, they work fine right now, and oh, by the way, they are already laid out and we already have them back. So as we put in new water pipes to replace those old ones, as that requirement is upon us as part of an EPA consent decree, we'll transform those old water pipes that still exist uh, and call them conduit. And we'll allow fiber providers to use that already mapped system, which is already watertight, to apply that technology to people while placing water pipes under sidewalks instead of roads. So it's more accessible when we have to do uh, services and therefore it becomes less of a hassle for our citizens as we continue to evolve. So, I, I, I guess I guess the summary version of that statement is: we're going to continue to evolve these systems. We have to. We're required to as a city, um, and in doing that, hopefully, we make them better for people, compliant with those regulations and needs that we have. One of which are the Paris Accords in most cities, and that we uh, prepare our city to be a uh, better asset for the generations behind us than the uh, than the ones before us. I think uh, that's interesting what you said there, because also one of the results I got from that New York Times article written by that engineer was that he said, you know, we're still going to need people. Even if smart data identifies a road that needs paving, it's still going to need people to show up with asphalt and a steamroller. And I feel like he was suggesting that smart cities are going to be run by robots. And I think you're taking a, a much more realistic viewpoint of it. 
Like it, it's not replacing it. It's working in conjunction with existing infrastructure and roles and, and people. I, I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. It's actually the mayor of, I think, Quito, Ecuador. And one of our Smart City events uh, came out and said that uh, City Hall and every community is just another factory. The product that that particular factory produces are decisions. And those decisions are manifested either in city policies or in work plans to maintain city infrastructure. And uh, the extent to which we use technology and data to make those decisions more effective and better decisions is absolutely parallel to companies that manufacture smart technologies for smart buildings or manufacture automobiles. Um, the private sector is not eschewing technology. They're using it to better empower their employees. City governments and smart cities are just doing the same thing. I think that is a perfect place to end it. Wraps up everything. Cool. And now you can go get a nap, Aaron, because I, I, I'm telling you, brother, you're going to be needing some sleep for long. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Bob, for speaking with us today. And what's the best way for our listeners to find you? Probably the best way is go to any random smart city event. I'll be the guy wearing the bow tie. Um, the second best way is to find me on LinkedIn or just uh, look up uh, B Squared Civic Solutions on your happy searching device of preference and uh, we'll be there. Awesome. And I'll include links to those various profiles and websites in the podcast information. Also, thank you listeners for joining the Spaces and Places by Site1001 podcast today. Stay tuned for future episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you, Bob. It's been a lot of fun hanging out with you guys. <laughs> Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Ciao.